0: When our children were young and growing up, we had a favorite toy around the house. and It was a toy, a Tupperware toy, called a shape ball. You Remember those? <laughs> shape balls. I was thinking about uh, the topic before us this morning, and I thought a shape ball would be a good illustration leading us into our furthering discussion on the kingdom of God. When the kids were young with the shape ball, I would sit there on the couch and watch them as they attempted to put the shapes in the holes. And while they were young and learning, they would any old hole would do, right? And so they would, would continually be trying to jam the shape into the wrong hole. And, of course, you can grow very frustrated doing that. But eventually, over time, they came to identify the shape With the size of the hole and you manipulate the ball around and you can get it in the right spot and pretty soon you load the ball with shapes and pull it apart and do it all over again, hour after hour of enjoyment. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, that's kind of like the kingdom of God for us. If we are attempting out of this earthly kingdom to draw the satisfaction that can only be found in the kingdom to come then we'll be like a child with a shape ball trying to cram the wrong size into the wrong hole nothing but frustration and futility but when we come to understand what is in store for us and that this life is broken and twisted and can never satisfy the deepest longings of our souls then we will set our sights on that coming kingdom and life will work so much better. So much better. I had someone this week kind of say to me, in effect, I understand what you're saying, what you said last week, but I'm not sure the encouragement that I'll get from it. I mean, there's, there's many things to be had in this life. And I said to myself, that's true. There are many things in this life that, that we can can gain. And if, and if I were on a journey to the promised land and that was a hot and dry and dusty journey and I came across a mud puddle, I might be tempted to say, this is good enough. Why don't I just pitch camp right here next to this mud puddle and live my life? I mean, at least it's wet. But my friends, we're, we, we don't want to settle for mud puddles. There is, a, there is a glorious fountain to be had that will satisfy the deepest longings of our souls but it can only be found in the kingdom to come. When John the Baptist burst onto the scene as the prophetic forerunner of Messiah, his message was simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We began last week and said there were six aspects of this kingdom of heaven that we need to be aware of and and that will help us as we become aware of them, to focus and, and to clarify our vision regarding the age to come. And when we have that clear picture of the age to come, it will enable us to avoid the seductions of this present age. And so we began last time looking at those aspects and we managed to find our way through three of the six. We'll finish that this morning, Lord willing. Let me review for you quickly the first three aspects of the kingdom of heaven just to get your mind back thinking this way we said first we we were looking at spirituality in the kingdom and we noted by the way that that all of these aspects of the kingdom are drawn from the old testament because that is that is the word of god that is all that the people had when messiah came When John announced the kingdom of heaven is at hand and and they needed to understand what kingdom he was talking about, the only place they could go to understand that would be the Old Testament. And so we're looking to see what the Old Testament has to say. We noted first that there is spirituality in this kingdom. It is a physical kingdom entered through a spiritual door, but it is also a place of great spirituality. We noted last time that holiness predominates... Messiah's kingdom. It will be a kingdom of holiness. Unlike the kingdoms of this world today. Secondly we. We're looking at morality in the kingdom. That the kingdom will be a moral place. Again unlike the kingdoms of this world. And probably one aspect of that morality. That stands out for me is. That truth will be the moral atmosphere of that kingdom. In fact it's capital city will be called the city of truth. We noted how unlike the present capitals of this world, in which lies continually spill out, it'll be a kingdom of truth. The third aspect was society in the kingdom. What will society be like? And we noted last time that one characteristic or aspect of society in Messiah's kingdom is that the weak and the defenseless will no longer be taken advantage of. Again, unlike the kingdoms of this world, in which the weak and the defenseless are oppressed and downtrodden, in Messiah's kingdom, that will no longer occur. And that leads us to where we want to focus in these few minutes that we have before us this morning. And I want to look with you at next politics. We've looked at spirituality last week, morality, society, now politics. Let us look at politics in Messiah's kingdom. And it begins with this, this simple notion. And that is that in Messiah's kingdom, he will be the world leader. Messiah will be the world leader. That will be the political system of his kingdom. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. And again, just like last week, we are going to look at a lot of scriptures together. You'll need to be engaged and agile. Psalm 2. Messiah will be the world leader. Psalm 2, beginning in verse 8. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. take warning, O judges of the earth. You will rule the world with a rod of iron scripture tells us messiah the king will be the world leader that will be the political system as world leader he will settle all international disputes no longer will will there be a united nations no longer will there be an international court the hague it will be messiah who will settle the international disputes of this world Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4. Isaiah 2 and verse 4. And he will judge the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. He will judge the nations. He will render decisions for many peoples. My friends, his kingdom will have a bureaucracy. All governments require a bureaucracy to keep the, the machinery running, as it were. We, the church, in our glorified bodies in Messiah's kingdom, will be part of that bureaucracy. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, we will judge the angels. We will have a, a ruling reigning function in that kingdom. We will we will operate the mechanism of the kingdom. Indeed, one of you might end up being the mayor of Upland in Messiah's kingdom. But ultimately, the disputes that cannot be resolved at the local level will be brought up to the highest level. And Messiah himself will settle those international disputes. If you want a picture in your mind, just think of Moses... And the 70 elders of Israel. The people were to bring before them the cases. And they were to make the decisions. But the ones they couldn't decide were to go to Moses. And the ones Moses couldn't decide were to go through Moses to God. When Messiah reigns in his kingdom. We will have the final court of appeal. On all international disputes. Beyond that. The capital of the world's government will reside in Jerusalem. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 17. I suspect there will be a lot of direct flights to Jerusalem in the Millennial Kingdom. Jeremiah 3 and verse 17. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations will be gathered to it, to Jerusalem. For the name of the Lord, nor shall they walk any more after the stubbornness of their evil heart. Jerusalem will be the capital of Messiah's kingdom. It will be the focal point of world government. Beyond that, Israel will dwell in peace and safety. Israel herself will dwell in peace and safety. Isaiah chapter 32 verse 18. How unlike this world that would be, huh? Israel dwelling in peace and safety. Isaiah 32 and verse 18. Then my people will live in a peaceful habitation and in secure dwellings and in undisturbed resting places. Then, in Messiah's kingdom, will Israel dwell in the peace and safety that she longs for. Beyond that, she will have preeminence among the nations. That little, small nation that lies at the crossroads of the world will rise to a place of preeminence among the nations of the world. Isaiah 60, verse 10 Isaiah 60 and verse 10. And foreigners will build up your walls, and their kings will minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, and in my favor I have had compassion on you. And your gates will be opened continually. They will not be closed day or night, so that men may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and the kingdom which will not serve you will perish and the kingdoms will be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the juniper, the box tree and the cypress together to beautify the place of my sanctuary and I shall make the place of my feet glorious. And the sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you and all those who despise you will bow themselves at the soles of your feet and they will call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel." We live in a world in which antisemitism is again on the rise. The hatred of Jewish people again is showing its ugly head in Europe and in the U.S. The thought of this little Jewish nation having preeminence over the Gentile nations of the world just doesn't sit well with many, many Gentiles. But the Scripture is exceedingly clear. Exceedingly clear. In Messiah's kingdom, His nation will rise to the place of preeminence in the nations of the world. And the kings will stream into her capital city. They will bring their wealth and lay it at her feet. Final aspect of politics in this great kingdom is that warfare will cease. Warfare will cease. Isaiah chapter 9 And verse 7. Isaiah 9 and verse 7. You know these verses, right? We find them on Christmas cards. Verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it. And to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will accomplish this but notice that expression at the beginning of the verse no end to the increase of his government or of peace messiah's reign will be characterized by a reign of peace turn to the right to micah chapter 4 Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, just before Nahum. Micah four. Micah four, verses three and four. And he will judge between many peoples. And render decisions for mighty, distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. Never again will they train for war. And each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree, with no one to make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. They will beat their swords into pruning hooks. Plowshares. Agriculture will replace warfare. Psalm 46, verse 9. Whenever I drive down the road and I see some bumper sticker that says, Visualize World Peace. You've seen that? I visualize the millennial kingdom, because that's when we'll get world peace, when Messiah comes. Psalm 46 and verse 9. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Messiah will bring all wars to an end. He will arbitrate the international disputes. He will be the final court of appeal. There is no place higher to go than him. When he renders his verdict, that's the answer. By the way, I didn't point it out at the time, but you can go back and look on your own. In Micah chapter 4, you'll notice the private property that exists in the millennial kingdom. Just make a note of that. Each will sit under his vine, under his fig tree private property in the Millennial Kingdom. I went online this week to look look up how much money the United States spends on the defense budget every year. According to what I could find online, it's approximately $700 billion a year. I believe that does not include the supplemental expense bills to fund the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Those are on top of that. 700 billion plus a year. How much do you think the governments of this world spend on a combined basis on security? How much money is spent fighting or preparing to fight a war? Imagine what would happen if those kinds of economic resources and that kind of brain power were transformed and and re implemented to peaceful means what if it was poured into agriculture medical research the betterment of the lives of the downtrodden what a different world it would be wouldn't it and yet as long as we live in this broken bent and twisted world of sin the need for standing armies will never go away Only when Messiah comes will we get a true peace dividend. And it will be amazing. Absolutely amazing. And it will lead, my friends, to prosperity. And that's the fifth aspect of Messiah's kingdom. A time of unprecedented prosperity. Human life will lengthen dramatically in Messiah's kingdom. Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 20. Isaiah 65 and verse 20. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my chosen ones shall wear out the work of their hands. A dramatic lengthening of human life. The Psalms tell us that it's three score and ten, right? Seventy years. Or if by strength, perhaps four score or eighty. We've made some medical advances in our day that that enable people to live now to eighty years old and on a somewhat regular basis. And there are those that live beyond it. But when someone hits a hundred, we begin to think that's amazing, isn't it? A hundred years old. What kind of a milestone? A hundred years old. They hit 101 and it begins to make it onto the front pages of the newspaper. We read those early chapters of Genesis. We shake our heads, don't we? How can it be that people live for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years? Why do we die at 100? What causes us to grow old? Why is it so unusual to live beyond your early 80s? What's going on with that? Does it have to be that way? How much money do people spend to squeeze one more year of life? I read somewhere that you will make the majority of your health care expenditures in the last six months of your life. Those last six months will absorb more wealth than all the preceding years of your life in a vain attempt to hang on. Messiah's kingdom, it says, if someone were to die at a hundred, that would be considered they died in Childhood. It would be a tragedy. They'll live longer than trees. That's a long time. It's a long time. Human length dramatically extending back out again. Beyond that, the scriptures tell us that the prosperity of Messiah's kingdom will be characterized by climate changes for the better. Climate changes. For the better, Isaiah 35. I was reading some time ago about the Sahara Desert and how it's continuing to grow. It's continuing to chew up more and more productive land. Isaiah 35 and verse 1 and 2. The wilderness and the desert will be glad, it says, and the Araba will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. The wilderness, the desert or more literally the dry land and the Araba, which is desert. It says that they will, they will rejoice, they will blossom, they will become fertile again. Imagine the prosperity. If you can once again recapture the desert places of this planet and enlist them for agricultural production. And in fact, that's exactly what will happen. Agricultural production will skyrocket. It will dramatically increase in Messiah's kingdom. Amos chapter 9. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. That's the one. Maybe we should get our music team to teach us that song. We might do that. How many of you can recite the books of the Old Testament by memory? Good. I should test you. <laughs> Amos chapter 9 verse 13. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper, when the treader of grapes, him who sows seed, when the mountains will drip sweet wine, and all the hills, the NASB says, will be dissolved. I like the ESV better. It says, shall flow with it. The hills shall flow with it. The wine will flow in abundance. The plowman will overtake the reaper. The treader him who sows seed. Now, what is that saying? What that's saying is that when it's time to plow the fields again for the next planting, they will still be gathering in the prior year's crop. They will become so productive that you can't strip the fields. It's not like that at my house. And I've got some tomato plants that are doing pretty well. This is so beyond what we are accustomed to. We are like the proverbial goldfish swimming in the little bowl surrounded by water and we don't know we're wet. We are living in a broken, twisted world that we have come to see as this must be what life is all about. This is reality. My friends, there's a day coming. There's a day coming when this planet will begin to yield forth what it has been designed to do. When the plowman overtakes the reaper. Poverty, gone. Starvation, gone. Hunger, eliminated. It's hard to conceive of it. Israel herself will experience a An increase in rainfall, the prophet Ezekiel tells us. Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 and 26. And I will make them in the places around my hill a blessing and I will cause showers to come down in their season and they will be showers of blessing showers of blessing the rain will come down again it's hard for us we're we're urban dwellers we have been detached from the land we think that food comes from vons their back room we we just don't get it but a few of Us have grown up at least or had experience at the farm level and we understand that the rain is everything. It is everything for the farmer. They do what they can, but it's ultimately dependent upon God to send the rain. Messiah's kingdom, the rains will come. There will be no droughts. Agricultural production will skyrocket. Peoples of the world will eat. In fact, it will be so productive that life will be enjoyable. Life will become enjoyable. Isaiah 25. thought about leaving this one out, actually. Lest I be misunderstood, but I'll see if I can tie it together for you. Isaiah 25 and verse 6. And the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine. Choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. Here's the picture. It is going to be ribeye steaks and red wine. In Messiah's kingdom. I was hoping somebody would give an amen to that. Ribeye steaks and aged wine. What is the prophet talking about? He is, he is using these elements to illustrate the reality of joy. Feasting, banqueting in Messiah's kingdom. Let me see if I can tie this together for you real quickly. And I'll take you to one verse, well, two verses in the New Testament. So I'll take you over to Matthew 26. Probably appropriate having celebrated communion earlier in this service. Matthew 26 and verse 29. Twenty six twenty-nine, Jesus says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. John chapter 2. Take a look at John 2. John 2 and verse 1. And on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Verse 3. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to them, verse 7, fill the water pots with water. They filled them to the brim. He said, draw out some now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him when the head waiter tasted the water from which had become wine and did not know where it had come from. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first and when men have drunk freely, then that which is poorer, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, this is a creation miracle, to be sure, because water does not become wine. So it's clearly a creation miracle, but it's a creation miracle rooted in the reality of Messiah's kingdom. Isaiah 25 and verse 6 says Messiah's kingdom will be characterized by the very best of wines and the choicest cuts of meat. Jesus says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine with you again until I drink it with you in Messiah, in my Father's kingdom. This first miracle, public miracle he does, he converts water into wine in the time of a wedding celebration, a time of feasting and banqueting and joy. What does it all mean? What it means is, that the wine and the banquet and the choice cuts of meat stand in for the greater reality of a life characterized by joy. A life characterized by feasting. If I can say it this way, by legitimate partying. Like wedding receptions. Those delightful, joyful occasions, right? When a crowd of people come together... And celebrate what God has done. This will characterize life in the kingdom. It will be like a great big party. A great big party. Why? Because the curse upon nature will have been lifted. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11 and verse 6. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In Romans chapter 8 and verses 22 and 23, Paul says creation groans under the sin of Adam. In Messiah's kingdom, the groaning will be removed. And once again, nature will begin to enjoy that for which it was created. Finally, disease and deformity. Disease and deformity will be curtailed. Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29 and verse 18. And on that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The afflicted shall also increase their gladness in the Lord, and the needy of mankind shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Verse chapter 35. 5 and 6, 35, 5 and 6. Then the the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy for water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. The blind will see. The deaf will hear. The mute will speak. The lame will walk and leap. For joy. The dead shall be raised again. The demons shall be cast out. Disease. Deformity. The scourge of life. Saw on the news the other day recent statistics one in two men will be afflicted with cancer at some point in their lifetime. One in three women. Deformity. Childhood. Diseases that will be done away with in Messiah's kingdom. What characterized Jesus' ministry when he came? What did he do? When John the Baptist was imprisoned and he sent his disciples to Jesus because things are not going the way John thought they would go, he's in prison. And he says, are you the expected one or, or is there another? And Jesus says to them, go and tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, demons are cast out. Yes, John, I am the one. The kingdom of God is breaking in on you. And the person of Messiah. Which, by the way, is the reason that I am persuaded to the depth of my soul that these things are not occurring today. Where are the healers that open the eyes of the blind, that cause the deaf to hear, that cause those without legs to grow new ones? Where are they? And how come they don't go to children's hospital and walk down the wards healing these poor ones? It is the kingdom. It is in Messiah's kingdom when the scourge of life in the form of disease and deformity will be done away with and not until. Not until. Prosperity in Messiah's kingdom. Quickly. Religion. Religion in Messiah's kingdom. Messiah will rule as over both Israel and the world as a priest king. He will be a priest king. I'll just turn you to Psalm 110. Psalm 110 and verse 4. Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. A priest king. In Israel, the one thing the king couldn't do was take to himself the function of a priest. Uzziah tried it and he was struck with leprosy. But in Messiah's kingdom, he will not only be the political leader, the king, he will be the priest. And the two will be combined in one office. My friends, what we're talking about is a theocracy. A worldwide theocracy. In which religion and government are combined in one office under one person. Israel will become the religious leaders of the world. They will fulfill that which was to be their role according to Exodus 19 and verse 6. You are a kingdom of priests. Isaiah speaks of it this way in Messiah's kingdom. Isaiah 61 and verse 6. You will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast, verse 9. Then their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. Israel will become the religious leadership of the world. Messiah's temple in Jerusalem will once again be the dwelling place of the Shekinah glory of God. Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. I'm not going to turn there. You'll have to check it on your own. Ezekiel 43, 1 to 7. The Shekinah glory that departed because of Israel's stubborn refusal to turn to God will once again take up residence in Messiah's temple. And finally... Zechariah 14, the worship of Yahweh will be compulsory. Zechariah chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went up against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. Talk about alien to our ear, right? What is one of our deeply held values as a culture? Is it not the freedom of religion? Not the freedom from religion, as some would define it, but the freedom of religion. The idea that you can believe whatever you want, that that we're not going to coerce you. And in this broken world, that's the way it should be. In this broken and fallen world, civil government should not establish any one religion. It is too dangerous to combine the office of king and priest in one son of Adam with feet of clay. No end of evil will result. But that is not the way it will be in Messiah's kingdom. Because the United States Constitution grants us freedom of religion, does not mean God grants freedom of religion. There is only one true religion. There is only one acceptable way to come to God, and it is through Christ Jesus' His Son. And in Messiah's kingdom, when Christ Jesus sits on the throne as the priest-king, it will be compulsory that all the world come and worship. And those that refuse will be punished. They will be punished. We will live in a theocracy with Jesus Christ, the priest king. His kingdom, it's a kingdom of spirituality, morality, society, politics, prosperity, religion. It it touches every aspect of life. No aspect of life as you know it will escape Messiah's touch. It will be a place so wonderful, so glorious, so soul-satisfying. And it is merely the glimpse of heaven to come. Why in the world, why in the world, Would we ever want to try to make this broken kingdom satisfy our souls? It is indeed a fool's errand. Let me pray. Our Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the clarity of Your Word. Thank You for the glorious picture of Messiah's kingdom. And and even now, O Lord, we have not really done full justice. We have but merely scratched the surface over 200 prophecies speaking of His kingdom, and and we looked at but a couple of handfuls. But our Father, what we have seen has has been true. What we have seen has enabled us to separate ourselves from this world and, and the things of this world which seem to overwhelm us so often. Father, I pray that You would you would enable us, O oh Lord, to, to fix our eyes firmly on Messiah's kingdom. Let that be the motivating factor. So we live our lives as aliens and strangers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Wow. <clears throat> Wow, because when you think of God's kingdom coming very soon, it should just not only gliden your hearts, but just even as now we're going to worship in our giving, it sets a little bit of a tone of, of our perspective that we're not building our kingdom here. And so uh, I trust that as you give in worship now, it is giving with a view that God's kingdom is coming soon. Let me just lead us in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, what a tremendous encouragement as we just took a little peek from your word of a preview of what's to come and we are rejoicing in our hearts with gladness knowing that we have such, such tremendous hope and future and it's been secured through your son Jesus Christ who's risen from the dead and he is our glorious king and he will come one day very soon. And so we ask that you continue to prepare our hearts this way in worship. Worship not just in lip service or in our lives, but just in our giving, because it reflects really where our heart is at. And so we ask that you prepare our hearts. Cause us to be ones who give with grateful hearts, not because we have to, but because we desire to see your kingdom expanded in your great name, made known throughout the ends of the earth. We ask for your help that we would not only be found faithful in our stewardship, faithful in our giving, but faithful in the proclamation of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.